0: Well, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this beautiful Lord's Day. We thank Thee for the opportunity that we have to be here uh, to learn from uh, the men that You have provided to teach us. We thank You for our pastors, and we thank You for uh, the wisdom that You have given to him, and we pray that You would strengthen him as he prepares to preach uh, to us this morning. Uh, We pray that You would prepare Uh, On his lips, the words that you have prepared for him to speak, and we pray that he would be able to say, thus saith the Lord. We pray that as we study family worship this morning, that you would remind us of our um, responsibilities to you, to teach our children, uh, to remember you, to remember all that you have done for us. We pray that you would bless us in our conversation this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Pastor Baugh, a few weeks ago, asked me to preach, or not preach, (laughs) I'm not a pastor, not ordained, uh, to teach about family worship. Um, and it's something that we've been doing in our family for a while. And I know that a, a lot of the families I see out here are doing it as well. Uh, so I would love to hear from you at the end if you have any advice for other families. Uh, this is also being recorded so other people who might be listening um, on how, how you do it in your families, how it has worked. Um, but first of all, just so that we're all on the same page about what we're talking about. Family worship, as I will refer to it here in this lesson, um, is a simple daily time of family, uh, in the family, where we pray, where we read God's word, and where we sing. Uh, There's a lot of other components that you could add or take away, um, but those are the three components that I'm talking about. So this is daily time in your family, um, reading God's word, praying, praying, and singing together as a family. Um, Pastor McNeil, I don't know if you've heard it, but there's a, on the website, there's a, a series of parenting lessons from 2011, I believe, more than a decade ago. Um, and Pastor McNeil talked in one of those lessons about what he called family devotions. Same thing. So if you've heard him talking about that or Pastor Bob talking about family devotions, same sort of thing. Um, the Westminster Confession of Faith states that God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth as in private families daily, and in secret, each one by himself. So more solemnly in the public assemblies, which are not carelessly or willfully to be neglected or forsaken, when God, by his providence, calls thereunto. So the confession um, from the 1600s talks about the importance of us gathering together as a family each day to worship God. Um, uh, Let's see. So the... One of the biggest points that I want to talk about, and I was preparing this for the last few weeks, it really stuck out to me in God's word about how much he focuses on the aspect of remembering. Remembering who God is, remembering what he has done for us. And that is our responsibility as parents to teach these things to our children. Um, But first, I want to to mention a quote from John Bunyan, who wrote around 350 years ago. "Um, Many Christians live and work in this world as if their Christianity was a low priority in life. And this world and its pleasures were all important, when indeed the things of this world are fleeting, and Christianity is the one thing that we need most. And this quote has stuck with me because this, you know, again, 350 years ago, this is before we have a lot of excuses as families nowadays about why we can't gather for family worship, why we can't do this or that together as a family. Um, smartphones, television, video games, travel, commutes, busy lives, children's sports leagues, worldly responsibilities, business commitments, social media, social engagements, et cetera, et cetera. So these are all excuses that we have. Even 350 years ago, John Bunyan saw this. And even, I mean, you read Proverbs, Solomon saw this, right? We have, there are other things in our lives that are more important than God. And that must not be. Um, the tools that God has given us, the opportunities that he's given us are not the problem. It's what we prioritize. Um, so in his book, and I brought a bunch of books here, and I will show these to you, but I want to... Um, one book that that Brittany and I read, it came out in 2007, so it had a huge... This is, which is the year Brittany and I were married. It had a huge impact on our formation of the family. Um, he, uh, Reverend Vodibachum writes that we will prioritize what we want our children to learn, what we want them to grow up to be. Um, do we want them to be... Um, major league sports players or something, then we're going to make sure that we prioritize their tryouts, their practices, their, you know, everything that they need to do to become professional sports players. Do we want them to be, to take after us in our careers? Do we want them to be carpenters or editors or whatever it might be? Then we're going to teach them what, what they need to know to do that, right? These are, this is how we organize ourselves as a family. Last week, in fact, um, <clears throat> Elder Sonoma said that we can't expect our children to do what we want them to do without providing them a framework for learning that information. Our children just aren't born knowing how to do certain things. Um, but to quote Dr. Bachem in his book, if our family exists to glorify and honor God <clears throat> and to lay a biblical foundation in the lives of our children, then we must not allow anything to interfere with our commitment to family worship, prayer, and Bible study. Do I want my sons to love God with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength, and their neighbors as themselves? Do I want them to honor their creator with their whole being? Then, if I do, then I must prioritize instruction and discipleship. Now, of course, I can't guarantee these things. I can't guarantee that my children or that my actions will result in my children turning out the way that I want them to. Um, But I must answer the call that God has given me, all of us must, uh, to to be the spiritual head of my family and to train up my children in the way that they should go, not, as J.C. Ra once wrote, um, in the way they desire to go. Which brings us, again, back to family worship. Joel Beakey, Dr. Joel Beakey, an excellent discussion of family worship that you can find on his website. It's an hour-long interview that I would recommend watching just because he lays out all the kind of the hows and whys of family worship. Um, he tells fathers simply to man up and do it. And that's that I want to be my principal um, advice today is just to start doing it. If you're not doing it already, start do it, commit to it. We'll talk more about this later in the hows and whys of family worship. But just to to start it, to commit to it, and to do it every single day. Um, So, But going back to the Bible, a couple weeks ago, Elder Sodom read in his his lesson on parenting from Deuteronomy 6. And that is an excellent passage to remind us as parents of our responsibilities to teach our children. Um, So I'm sure you remember the passage. um, But let's start in Deuteronomy 6, verse 12. You can turn there if you want. um, And I will read... To starting in verse 12. So why, when Moses is giving instruction to the people from God, he talks about we must teach our children as we, when we get up, when we lie down, when we're walking in the way of these things. We must be teaching our children constantly. Why do we do that? Um, Deuteronomy 6, verse 12 says, Take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Um, Pastor Ba in a sermon last week, when we were talking about slavery, he said that God wanted his people to be different from the people that that were surrounding them, uh, including the heathen Egypt that they had just left. And that started with remembering God, who he was, and what he had done for them. Um, forgetting God and what he had done was the sure path to following after the other gods, you know, whatever gods might be in their midst, whatever gods might be in the people that surround them going after them, because you forget who God is and what he has done. Um, in fact, in the 10 commandments, which we say every Sunday, uh, or parts of it, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Um, earlier in Deuteronomy 4, Moses, just just before receiving the Ten Commandments, uh, or just before he delivers them, um, Moses says, For what great nation is this that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. So we have the command here to teach our children so that they remember God and not turn away from him toward other gods and a life of service to self. We must teach our children to remember who God is, in your, I don't know if you've got a handout, but I listed a few passages in there that you can turn to. I'm not going to read through all of them, um, but just there are a few in there that, that kind of reiterate the same point. Um, the last major passage I want to talk about in this section is Psalm 78, which is beautiful in its instruction to uh, parents to teach their children. Um, Psalm 78 uh, begins with Asaph writing, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from our children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. What is the difference between the God-fearing generation that we talk about in Psalm 78 and the stubborn and rebellious one that Asaph mentioned at the end? Well, the latter did not prepare its heart, was not faithful to God, um, the latter forgot about God. If we are to be faithful in our calling as Christians, we must prepare our own hearts and the hearts of our children, if we have them, and teach them diligently to remember what God has done for us, who God is, and what He has done for us. Um, in reform circles and Christians in general, we like to say that that God builds His church through the family. And you know, even we've we've been talking about Pastor Bob let us in a, in a great long series last season about uh, covenant our covenant relationship to God and what that means. And we've been talking about in the last three weeks about parenting and what it means to have covenant children. Um, What does it mean that God builds his church through the family? Well, Malachi 2 says that that God brings together a man and a woman to raise himself for himself godly seed. Our children are in the covenant, and by an overwhelming majority, it is through this process uh, that God brings his children into his family, his church. Again, that does not mean that salvation is guaranteed for our children if we follow this formula— um, we know that we can neither earn our salvation nor the salvation of our children. But our God is a God of means. Uh, he ordains the ends. He ordains our salvation, our justification. But he also ordains the means to the end. And we must follow God's, um, follow God's prescriptions in the Bible for how to do that. Uh, Douglas Kelly, who is retired from teaching at Reformed Theological Seminary, wrote, Family Religion uh, which depends not a little on the household head daily leading his family before God in worship, is one of the most powerful structures that the covenant-keeping God has given for the expansion and redemption of through the generations. The, sorry, the expansion of redemption through the generations, so that countless multitudes may be brought into communion with and worship of the living God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, why do we do family worship? Obviously, we've just discussed a couple, training our covenant children to, to remember God and who he is. Um, and I'm going to pull from some of these books here that I've, and you can, by the way, you can read through these at, at the end if you want to, thumb through them. Um, there's a ton of resources out there. I only brought the ones that I've read and can recommend, but there are a lot more. Um, so, three of these authors, Donald Whitney, Bodie Bacham and Jason Halopoulos, list of a bunch of reasons, practical reasons why we as families might want to lead our children in family worship. Um, And I'll borrow from that list here. So I'm going to list, I don't know, six or seven. First of all, God is worthy to receive your family's worship. Family worship honors God, and it puts him above all else. Uh, Thinking back to that quote from John Bunyan, um, family worship puts God at the center of our life. It doesn't allow us to focus on other things that that in the moment might seem more important or might seem more fun or might seem more worth our time. Okay, family worship puts God first. A regular commitment to family worship orients our lives around God. Um, and other things can be fit in if there's time, but family worship put, puts God first. And when we think of God as the covenant God, like we've been talking about, we can see, we begin to see all of life within that context. And we can begin to see our family within the context of covenant and what God how God interact with us and how God ordains our lives to be. Um, Joshua twenty four fifteen, you remember, says, If it is evil in your eyes to so serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And serving the Lord is not merely ensuring that we get to church on Sunday, although, as Pastor Boss says, this is our spiritual feast of the week and we must be here. Um, And it's not just um, working hard, you know, as God puts food on our table. Uh, It's not just making sure our families are clothed and fed. Um, It is putting God first in all of life and living our lives within the context of the Lord, that he is Lord of all, that is worshiping him in what we do. Um, I'm going to skip this part here. Um, Another reason to conduct family worship uh, is to remember that we are answering God's call to teach our children. Now, this relates back to what we were talking about earlier, but I want to make a couple more points here. Um, it's important to reiterate that just like everything we do, we do family worship not to earn God's grace, but because of it. Um, because of what he has done for us, we teach our children to remember God and who he is. These are God's children, and we are commanded to raise them for his glory and honor. Um Think of like some of the passages that you probably have said a lot to your children. Psalm 46, uh, Psalm 121 are ones that come up often in our house. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow, he cutteth the spear in thunder, he burneth the chariots in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. Or... Sean actually turned me on to a, um, a uh, I think it's Christian standard Bible. He turned me on to a, a version last year that talks about the Lord, instead of Lord of hosts, it says the Lord of armies, which I think is a beautiful way of thinking about that. Um, our God is the Lord of armies. Our, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Uh, Psalm 21, I will lift mine eyes up unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. What a mighty God we serve. What an awesome God. But despite that, we as people have a problem with forgetfulness. If we don't stay in the Word, if we don't stay in worship of God, we are going to forget. This is a history, I mean, read through the Bible, this is a history of God's people from the beginning of time. Um, One of the most chilling passages to me when I read Scripture is Ezekiel 16, um, where God refers to Israel... (laughs) I'm going to read a, a big chunk of this passage because it's so profound and meaningful to me when I think about my responsibilities to my kids. Um, God refers to Israel as an adulterous wife who has gone off. God has married her, and she has gone off in pursuit of the other gods around her. Starting at, so this is Ezekiel 16, starting in verse 13. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, And honey and oil. You grew exceeding beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed upon you, says the Lord. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passersby. Your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines and on them played the whore. The like has never been nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you and made for yourself images of men and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and my incense before them. Also the bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey. You set before them for a pleasing aroma And so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering of fire to them? These are God's children that God has given to us. And he will have them remember who he is. He will have them glorify him. What will we say to the creator and sustainer of the universe when he asks us, what did you do to ensure that my children did not forget me? So another reason is what better way to speak the gospel to your children's life every day Family worship lays the groundwork for deep conversation with your children as it provides a regular time for your children to learn the things of God from you. It's also an excellent opportunity for your children to ask about the things of God in a comfortable context. You know, when you're talking about these things every night, even if it's just 10 minutes a night, you're sitting down and and this context is the Bible, who God is, what he has done for you, what are our responsibilities before Him. Kids come up with the best questions. You know, they're trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to figure out who God is. They're trying to figure out how to get into heaven or why do bad things happen to me? You know, all these these questions. And this is such a great opportunity to talk about these things with our kids. Uh, and they've, they come up with some questions that that I never even knew they were thinking about these things. You know, but we talk about them. We have a book. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Lee Strobel, but he wrote. Um, actually, this is a different. What's the name of the book that we've been reading? Yeah, yeah. so there's these a series of books called Evidence, Demand, and Birth, I think by Josh McDowell, uh, for grown-ups, where he talks about the reasons that we can believe that the Word of God actually comes from God. Well, there's a kids' version that talks about um, just little short questions and answers that, that are kind of written uh, for kids, and we've been having the kids look through this at family worship, um, and every once in a while one of them will read a page from this. So again, questions like, why do bad things happen to me? Um, how do I get into heaven? What if I don't feel bad when I do something wrong? You know, these are all good questions and they give us an opportunity to just kind of discuss them as a family. Uh, the other night, one of our kids said, well, I've done so many bad things in my life. There's no way I'm ever getting into heaven. And it's just such a great opportunity to talk about, well, how do we get into heaven? What does it look like? Have I done bad things as a parent? You know, am I getting into heaven because I've done bad things? You know, and we were able to have these really profound conversations with our kids just because of the context that we, that um, of sitting down together and going through God's word together. Um, family worship also binds your family together. Um, one of the authors here, Jason Halopoulos, in his book, on uh, Neglected Grace, which talks about family worship, uh, he writes that no matter what else we do or don't do as a family, the most important thing that marks us as a family is that we are a worshiping family, enjoying Christ and seeking to follow him. There are a lot of things that we do as a family. You know, we go hiking, we go camping, we travel, we, you know, play catch in the park together. There's a lot of things that we do and that we enjoy doing and that are good for us to do. Um, But number one, we want our family to to think, we want our kids to think when they think about who are we and what do we do. Well, we want them to know that we worship God. We want them to know who God is. We don't want, you know, if you read through Kings, at the end of so many of those Kings, it says, And he didn't do what God told him to do, but he did like his fathers before them, right? Right. This is not what we want our family legacy to be. Uh, Another reason to do family worship is that your children can see the ongoing positive spiritual example of their parents in real life. It also reinforces spiritual headship in the home as the father leads his wife and his family before God's throne. In the same vein, you're providing a workable, reproducible example to your children of how to have a distinctively Christian home when they start a home of their own. I don't know if, I know a lot of you are doing family worship. I don't know if you did family worship growing up in your families. We did not. In our family, we had a different, you know, my parents were both Christians and they encouraged us to do, you know, personal daily quiet time and these sorts of things, but we never gathered together as a family to sit together and worship God. Um, So that doesn't mean that, you know, if you didn't grow up doing this, that you can't do this now. But I do believe that as our kids grow up in the family doing family worship and it becomes such a routine that I'm hopeful that when they get married and they have children of their own, even by themselves, you know, you can do family worship as a single person. And then when you get married, you can do family worship with your spouse. You don't need to have children to do family worship. Um, But when you do have children and you teach them the ways of God day by day by day by day. Lord willing, when they have children of their own, that's going to be a family tradition, right? You know, you have traditions around Christmas. You have traditions around Easter or New Year or whatever it might be. This is a family tradition that you can form in your own family and do, and it binds your family together. Um, it also prepares your family for corporate worship. I think this was, in our experience, was a really huge one. Um, because we gather as a family and we sing songs, uh, we sing hymns that we know we're going to sing in church. Um, since we've gotten here, I think it's such a fantastic um, exercise where the, the sermon passage is printed in the bulletin ahead of time. And then there are t- questions for discussion that are printed for discussion afterward. So leading in the week leading up to, to Sunday, you can read the passage. You can study it. You can talk about it. You can, you know, sometimes we do. We actually did a terrible job of preparing for this Sunday. I apologize. Um, but one thing we've done in the past is we've read the passage and say, okay, what do we think the pastor's is going to talk about? Inevitably, we're wrong because I don't know why it works out that way. But it gives us an opportunity to just kind of discuss what does this passage mean? You know, what is God telling us in this passage? And, and by the time we get to church and we read it, the kids are familiar with it. Um, it also, like I said, you can sing, right? Even I'm a terrible singer as Brittany can attest. Brittany's actually a good singer, but I'm not. Um, but we can still sing together. We can open our hymnals. Uh, we can either find the wor- the songs that we're singing uh, that we know that we're going to sing during church, or we can just kind of w- brush up on songs that we're kind of bad at. Or we can just sing, um, just sing and praise God. Uh, reading um, the, the Bible, also obviously the huge one, um, You know, just going through, even if we're not preparing specifically for the sermon, just reading through passages of scripture. And you don't even have to, you know, as fathers, I often, I'm afraid if I don't prepare for family worship that I'm going to say something foolish or the kids are going to ask me a question about the passage and I'm going to have no idea. But even, I mean, that's fine. It's not your job to know every answer to every question. But if you can read through scripture with your children and your, your wife or your husband, that's an excellent thing to do. Um, you probably have heard of the Directory for Family Worship, which was um, is kind of made by the Presbyterian Church of Scotland as, a, as an addendum, so to speak, to the Westminster Confession. Um, it's I listed it in the recommended reading. It's worth taking a look at. It's really short. It uh, just gives a little bit of meat on you know how and why families ought to conduct family worship. Um, but I wanted to, in addition to that, so John Knox. I'm going to offer a couple of quotes here about Preparation for family worship and what our kind of the church ought to look like in our home. Uh, John Knox in the 1500s, before the Westminster Confession, obviously, wrote to exiles in Geneva Within your houses, you are bishops and kings. Your wife, children, servants, and family are your bishopric in charge. Of you, it shall be required how carefully and diligently you have instructed them in God's knowledge, how you have studied to plant virtue in them and repress vice. And therefore, I say, you must make them partakers in reading, exhorting, and in making common prayers, which I would in every house were used once a day at least. Uh, In the next century, Jonathan Edwards wrote, and if you've ever talked to Charlie Montes, you've probably heard him say this at least once. I've probably heard it a hundred times. Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little Kirk or a little church. Now, obviously, that does not mean that family worship replaces corporate worship. Never. Absolutely not. Um, It supports it, in fact. Like I said earlier, if we're singing songs and we come to church and the kids, you know, we say, well, we're going to sing Amazing Grace or we're going to sing, you know, whatever song it might be. And the kids have heard this and they've been practicing it. They're so excited to be able to sing it together with God's people. Um, Or, you know, when they hear the passage read and they're familiar with it, it's super exciting uh, for them. Um, But it also teaches them, you know, during the week, it teaches them to sit still, to sit quietly, to, to have reverence for the word of God to have, to be able to sing together. You know, kids are often shy about singing. And, and by the way, don't, in any of this, don't think that we have it perfect at our house. Our kids goof around. They don't pay attention. They don't listen. They don't participate. You know, it's, it's often, it's really a a struggle, but I know that it means something to them too, even if they're not, you know, we're we're reciting a Bible verse and they're just kind of sitting there with their mouth shut. Um, Sometimes this happens with Job actually a lot. He'll be, sitting there just staring at something mouth is not moving. And at the end of the the Bible verse that we've just been reciting or the song we've been singing, Hey Joe, you know, how come you haven't been doing it? I am doing it. Well, no, you're not. You know, we actually once we gave him a mirror so that he could look at it while he was saying the Bible verse and he realized I'm not saying it out loud, but he, in his mind, he's singing in his head, right? He's learning these things, but I mean, obviously saying it out loud is, is beneficial. We know that you can, it's beneficial for learning to do that. Um, But, you know, even if they're not participating in the way that you think they are, they are still learning. They're sitting there. They're preparing for family, for corporate worship by partaking in family worship. Uh, Like I said earlier, Pastor McNeil has said that um, the corporate worship is our big spiritual meal of the week, and we must not neglect it. We must not ever think that family worship is just as good as corporate worship or anything like that. No, but it prepares us for it. Um, So, and about... 10 minutes or so, I want to open up the floor for advice from people who have any, or questions, you know, if you have any questions about family worship, um, advice on how you do it in your own home. Um, And in preparation for that, I want to go through some quick points about how you can connect family worship in your own home, what that might look like, and then know that as you go forward to do this, if you're not already, that it's really up to you how this works. You know, you don't have to, none of this is is, is hard and fast rules. Um, but again, first of all, just start it, commit to 10 minutes a day, find a time when your family's all together. Maybe it's after breakfast, maybe it's after lunch, maybe it's after dinner, maybe it's right before bed, right after everybody gets up. Find a time when your family is already all together. Set aside 10 minutes of time to do that. Um, in our family, we do it after, right before bed. So we have everybody brush their teeth, get their pajamas on, and then we meet in the living room. It's the last thing we do of the day. Uh, and it works well because we 're all home we 're all there already um, let 's see. Um, I have a rec- couple of recommended books here that you might think about if you haven't if you're a little nervous about how to do family worship. Um, the family worship Bible guide is really helpful. It has for every chapter in the Bible there are two short paragraphs that just kind of offer some thoughts it's almost it 's somewhat like a study bible, but it's worth it 's made for family worship. So if you're nervous about how to explain, you know, Second Kings nine, you know, when you read through it, well, this has has um, paragraphs on that. And then here's a book that Sean recommended to me, Be Thou My Vision. It's basically a daily family worship liturgy. It gives you a month worth of of different prayers, uh, catechisms from you know hundreds of years ago or currently, just little s- snippets. We don't use it as much because it's a little over our kids' heads, um, but we refer to it sometimes. Um, and this should also be in your list if you don't, you don't want to have to write it down. Um, but these are good. Um, also, just a, reading, a Bible reading plan is really helpful. Um, J.C. Rouse says he's got a little, you can find it online, it's a little booklet called The Duties of Parents. Uh, he says in there that you cannot make your children love the Bible. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But you can make your children acquainted with the Bible. And it's impossible to make your children too acquainted with the Bible, right? You can make sure that they know what the Bible says, what it contains, what it says about God. You cannot make them love it, but you sure can teach it to them. Okay, getting started, like I said, commit to it. Best time to do it is today, or best time to do it is yesterday, like investing. Second best time is today. Um, Remember that you cannot serve both God and mammon. Okay, Either God is first in your life or something else is. So if you find yourself saying, oh, I'm too tired, I can't do it, I'm too busy, throw that out, commit to to commit to commit putting God first, um, finding a time, even just 10 minutes. Joel Beakey, uh, in his book, encourages families to give it one month. So commit to one month, and you'll find that it becomes a holy habit that is really... it's um, Honestly, at that point, it even becomes hard to break because you get so used to it, because your kids get so used to it. You give it one month together as a family, and you'll find that you really are... Um, able to stick with it, um, but just don't skip a night. We found when we were getting started that if we, well, I'm tired this night, I'm not going to do it. Then the next time I'm tired, I think, well, I skipped it a week ago and everything was fine. So we could probably skip it again. Right. Just don't skip it. Unless, I mean, the only times we skip it are Sunday evenings when we, when we had used to, you know, have a, an evening service. And now we have just kind of gotten into the habit of playing a family game together something like that. Uh, or for, for some reason out, Um, and we can't even squeeze in like five minutes before bed. Um, But other than that, we do it every night, and the kids expect it, uh, which is a good thing. Um, There are some objections to family worship that people often bring up, like tired, like not being able to sing. Um, You know, and you can find in in any of these books I would recommend reading. um, There there are a lot of objections that you can make, but again, just... Well, A.W. Pink, in a book that he has online, said... um, I have the quote in here somewhere. Uh, it says, uh, "Well, I'll find it eventually, uh, right after I'm needing it." Um, but basically, what he says is, "Skills are are um, improved not by neglect but by use." So if you can't sing, sing more, not less. Right? If you can't pray, pray more, not less, because you're not going to get better at it by not doing it. Um, <clears throat> And, let's see, oh, another another quote, so this is from another book, J.W. Alexander, you can find it online, because it's 150 years old or something, so it's in the public domain. Um, and this is another quote that's really stuck with me, because we had a former pastor who would say that if you are trying to start teaching your kids at four, because you think, well, now they can understand, this is way too late. You, four is way too late to be teaching them that their actions have consequences, or that God is the God of the universe or, you know, what our responsibilities are before him. Um, J.W. Alexander writes, the days of life are few. Children are rapidly growing into their habits for life. Some of them will soon be far beyond your reach. Death will, before long, work strange separations. The night cometh. In prospect of that judgment, which is nearly impending, be persuaded to lay aside all frivolous excuses to take up the cross and to be in your family as well as elsewhere, a devout and unflinching servant of Christ. Um, And then the last thing I want to leave you with is Psalm 118, verses 14 through 16. It's written in the top of your your handout. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. So this is Brittany's recommendation here because we used to, when we lived in Mexico, <laughs> we used to have our windows open because it was hot. You know, when we would sing, and I would always be nervous sitting there, all these random people walking by because it was a really busy street. When we're doing family worship, you know, what are they thinking when they hear us singing? And what are they thinking? They're going to, you know, weird white people singing songs in a foreign language in our country. You know, what, what are they going to think? But Brittany's recommendation was good. She said, throw open your windows, let your neighborhood hear your songs as you're gathering in family worship every night, sing to the Lord, let it be a testimony to the people around you, and get used to to inviting people in. You know, when you have have friends over, have them over in the evening so that you can do family worship together after dinner. Um, It doesn't need to be just an insular family thing. You know, invite people from outside. Even non-Christians can join in and listen and hear. Um, So may all of our families, may all of our tents be filled with the songs of salvation. Okay, I am going to ask people, because I know I'm looking at a lot of people here who do family worship. Do you have any recommendations um, for people who might be nervous about getting started, people who might have been trying it and finding out that it's not working, or our kids just don't like it, anything like that, Any, any advice that you can share? Uh, yeah, Charlie. Uh, a comment and then a
1: recommendation. Um, a little while back in like the same week, I actually heard two different sources comment on it. One was Ligonier and one was um, The White Horses, which is a podcast from Michael Burton. And both of these um, groups of gentlemen that were talking mentioned statistically the dangerous effect of disinterested fathers. And how the fathers aren't leading the spiritual climate of the home. There's a high probability that children will depart from the faith. And that even households where there was a dad present, but he was disinterested in religion, <coughs> have the same effect as a single mother household. And so the call to make this, like you said earlier, a priority in our home. right That our children will imitate us, particularly fathers, that that's, that's a unique role that we as husbands and fathers have to display something that's worthy of imitation in our own because they're going to imitate us anyway. Um, I just thought that that was a pretty astounding sort of finding according to a like few research and whatnot. Um, as far as something very practical is, I, I love what you said. Um, I remember starting and, and tending to like overthink it, that I needed to have this really long and thoughtful Uh, sort of being prepared, when in reality, making sure that it was just really age-appropriate and simplified um, was the best course. And so, for the longest time, we would merely read a chapter. It was either a psalm or or something that was narrative, because the kids couldn't really quite understand prophecy, you know, know, the more difficult parts of Scripture. Um, And then we would just follow up with the Lord's Prayer over and over, so we could memorize it, and a hymn of the month. Um, so my recommendation would be to prioritize the simplicity of it in your home. It can always grow into more as children get older, discussions get longer. But if you're just starting, and like you said, we should start now, simplicity, I think, is, is something for
0: considering. Yeah, that's really good advice. Thank you, Charlie. Um, our, our pastors often say... Uh, I saw your hand in just a second. Our pastors often say that, like I said earlier, you can't worship both God and Mammon, right? You have a God, and whether it's the God of the universe or whether it's something else that you're putting in front of him. Uh, And I think I read something recently about fathers, too. You are leading your family. You're leading them toward God or you're leading them away from them. But you can't say, I'm not a leader. I'm not, you know, I didn't ask for this. You are the leader. So you have that responsibility and you are leading them in one direction or another. That's a great point, Charlie. What were you gonna say, Pastor Ball? Uh, I was gonna share. Uh,
1: uh, we were we were reading the Bible every night and kind of doing some of this stuff, trying to, but because it's at night, right before bed, I, I give this a temptation to just be kind of sleepy and I'm reading and just kind of go on and then this happened, and then this happened and it just was like so as no he hated it because nothing was happening. Um, so Masha to me and was like, hey, read it better. Um, and so when I started simplifying, not being, like, telling the story and being way more, like, expressive and, like, and then this happened. Can you believe, you know, how big I saw the love it. And he just starts to imitate it. Because he's like, wow, you know, and does hand motions and just gets super into it. Because it's actually more engaging. than so mm-hmm. just dryly reading the
0: passage. The yeah, that's good advice. I could take that. I tend to read also in kind of a monotone. I should, I should do better about that. Thank you. I will share. So Brittany, um, my wife, who is amazing. I'll grab these books here. Um, so one of the ways that we've come to do family worship is, you know, we've had a lot of passages that we wanted to learn. And so we study, like early at the beginning, we were doing the Ten Commandments a lot. We are doing it every night. We are reading the whole Ten Commandments, trying to memorize it. And eventually we got good enough that we didn't need to do it every night. So we started doing it once a week instead. And then we would do something else every night. Um, And so eventually over time, that built up into a binder that we have where we, um, that Brittany put together. Uh, So there is, so these are all the songs and, and hymns that we're learning, but there's, it's divided by, so there's a daily section, which is the stuff that we're doing every day. Uh, There's a Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday for every day of the week. So songs that we sing, doxologies, um, Bible verses, other songs um, that we do every Wednesday or whatever. And then depending on the day of the month. So there's, you know, other songs that we do or catechism questions that we've learned and, but also need to remember um, that we do once a month and that's, That's has been in our family a huge help because I don't need to prepare. What are we going to learn? What are we going to do? You know, all this stuff Um, every day. we just open the binder and say, okay, here we're now. Remember, you know, who is God? And, you know, we can ask these questions of the kids and hopefully they remember. And they probably don't. You know, we need to rehash them. Um, but that's been a big help for us. We also have ones that we kind of, um, that Brittany has made um, for the Christmas season, you know, for Advent. We talk about, you know, there's different songs that we sing, different different passages that we read through, stuff like that. Um, that's been a big benefit in our family. And as a way of simplifying, like Charlie said, um, the system, you know, so we don't need to make it over. I mean, this sounds complicated, but in reality, once you get it done, it's, it's kind of simple. Um, I've read a lot of things where people just say just, I mean, all you need to do is 10 minutes. Read a chapter, read a paragraph of scripture, sing a song, pray. Um, and prayer can be a thing that we tend to forget. So make sure you pray. Um, make sure you teach your children to pray. Make sure you give them the opportunity to pray at family worship. Um, because then they get used to, to praying. And some are going to be more shy than others. But every kid can pray, right? And you can teach them how to do that. Uh, any other comments before, or thoughts before we close or questions? Yeah, Elaine?
1: So, if you don't feel like doing it, ask God to make
0: you feel like one. <laughs> and he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks, Elaine.
1: Brittany? I was just going to add, it's similar to the kids' behind a training ground for learning to pray or learning how to sing. Um, also, scripture reading. And we kind of split it up. We do most of our scripture reading during what we call Bible class or in homeschool. And other stuff during in worship, but it's an opportunity for them to learn to read out loud, which they love to do. Um, they love to have the floor, but one of our kids would speed read or something, and so it became apparent as he was reading out loud that he would drop the first few words. And so with practice, he's learned to, he didn't even realize he was doing it, but he's learned, and he's gotten better. And all of them have gotten better at reading out loud, so that someday when they're at a Bible study or something. They're not embarrassing themselves, stumbling over the words, and
0: they know how to pronounce the words. It's good practice for that. Good, right. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I also want to add that um, I think the beauty that I've seeing come out of our family worship is uh, how flexible you can be to cater towards your family because you know what stage they're in, how they get excited about you know, their favorite song, um, it makes it, I feel like, a lot more freeing than, um, I think, often we feel like a pressure that it needs to look a certain way or needs to feel a certain way or there needs to be a certain level of volume. But all of that, you know, like it's one thing when you're in corporate worship, but when you're with your family, you can really bless your family by, you know, making it a little more open towards them and, and yeah, so I feel like you can take on different cultures, too, and it,
0: it, it's a view. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. Charlie? I want to back on that in, in something that is, I
1: hope, helpful to sound. Um It might be worth reflecting on in and of ourselves and our homes the recovery of mirth, of gladness in these situations, because... You know, something that's very adjacent to Ephesians six four, fathers not provoking your children to wrath, is, is also to you know bring them up in exasperation, right? So family devotion time should be a glad time of rejoicing and pleasant, you know making sure to be careful that we're not sitting with like the sheriff, uh, policing only behavior, um, rather than trying to get after the hearts of our children with God's very great promises and His mighty deeds. Um, and, and that leads to making my second point, which is that one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children in
0: family worship time is the gift of repentance, and that is our own repentance. Um, leading them that way. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. That's good. Uh, and obviously that's a lesson for all of life, but especially at family worship, one of the, one of the, um, the objections that people often raise, at least according to the books that I read, is, is, well, I can't do, I can't lead family worship because I just yelled at my kids or I just yelled at my wife. So there's no way I could sit in front of God and do family worship. Well, it's a great opportunity to repent. You know, you must repent. So do it now. Do it in front of your kids whom you sinned against and go before God, pray, you know, and lead your family in that, that example. It's a great idea. Anything else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. definitely
1: the importance of the father being a leader. So either to Christ or away from Christ. An example, like one of my sisters-in-law... Christian family,
0: but Dad was kind of moving off, you know, the place he should be. And his wife told him, she said, You know, if you're going to hell, you're taking us with you. It's an enormous responsibility that we forget because we think, you know, we're tempted to serve ourselves instead of God. That's a great advice. The. the responsibility is you know it's thinking about what charlie was saying just a minute ago about that mirth that you bring to family worship um you know and and sometimes i have a tendency to go the other way and and you know my kids are goofing around and i'm kind of angry because we're going before the god who created all things and who sent his son to die for me and you and how can you goof off in this sort of scenario um so i you know I, i try to enjoy it but also teach them proper reverence and, and you know and then i but then i end up going to where you're going where i think i'm not fit for these things you know and i want my tendency is to want to just you know not do it because you know i'm not fit for this job or i'm not you know capable of this job and then i forget that god has commanded that i do this that god has fit me for it even if i don't want to see that um that's a really good important reminder Well, we've got 10 minutes before church. We better close in prayer. Thank you for all of your helpful thoughts. Um, One thing I did want to leave with um, is, well, two things. One, again, if you're single or if you're married but no children, that does not mean you shouldn't be doing family worship and going before God and worshiping Him. Uh, Number two, um, if your kids are grown and moved out and you didn't do family worship, think of it as a time to pray for them, to um, set a good example as a grandparent or something. You know, you even if you kids are grown and you didn't do family worship the way that you think you should have, spend time in prayer for them now like Job did. Um this a it's an opportunity for us to still take our responsibilities as fathers and husbands to lead our families in that way. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly father, we thank you again for your love for us. We thank you for the mercies that you've given us of showing us that we are not fit or that we think we are not fit um, for the jobs to which you have called us. But we know that you have equipped us for these things. And we pray that you would give us the strength to realize that, to trust in you, even when we feel weak, um, to look at you for our strength and not to ourselves, not to think that we can't do something because we don't feel capable, but that we would look to you and that we would trust in you. We thank you for families. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your covenant. And we thank you for the opportunity and the responsibility to bring our children up and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the wonderful joy that we have of being here. And we pray again that you would bless us throughout the rest of this day. That it would be a day of rejoicing, that it would be a day of gladness. That we would sing great songs of salvation to you thanking you for all that you have done for us. We pray that you would be with us. We pray that you would forgive our sins, that you would uh, draw us closer to you uh, and closer to our families and remind us of your great love for us that we did not deserve. We pray that you would help us to see that each day. In Jesus' name, amen.